This is Matt Hayes with Saturday Down South, and I want to tell you about a new podcast we're launching. Saturday Lives Forever is dedicated to the iconic players and moments of college football. Those unforgettable moments where you remember where you were when you watched it. Season one of Saturday Lives Forever is coming soon, but subscribe now and make sure you don't miss an episode. Search for Saturday Lives Forever in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're obsessed like us with college football and can't get enough of reliving fall Saturdays, you're going to love this new show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the College Football Uncensored Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Huck, and with me, as always, is Chris Mahler. Chris, how are you doing today? You, you feeling better today? Falling apart at the seams. I took a nap and just woke up, and um, and we're late because of it. So all things, I'm hitting full stride in breakup mode, so I think we're good. We're good here. Um, I'm exactly So you're just going to drop that news. You, yeah, you know, you, you led with the inside joke last week, or last episode. Now you're just going to just outright say it. I don't know. Let's All right. Just move on. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're sticking with the preview podcast this week. Uh, this should be a fun, a fun episode. Uh, we've got two exciting teams on on offense for sure. Um, the two Mississippi teams this week. Uh, we're doing Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Uh, Chris, you've brought in a guest for us to yeah. uh, to talk about these two teams. Can you introduce the man? It's my dad, and um, he. Uh... <laughs> No, we are going to talk uh, some some all things state of Mississippi football, the Sunshine State. I think that is a, they, they they call it right. Is that could be uh, wrong? Yeah, Magnolia. No, I so. I've been told I was wrong before, so I'm used to that by now. But um, listen, Jake Wimberly, uh, a good buddy, not just from Twitter, but um, also on radio. And it, and like I don't want to mess this up. And you know me well enough to know I'm not professional enough to have nailed it. So why don't you give your credentials? Because what I was going to say was. Your, your program director for, I was going to say you're on air uh, for ESPN 105.9, but I, I'm not exactly sure the, the location. Is it Clinton, right? Uh, it's going to be Jackson. Jackson, Jackson Mississippi. Okay. Yep. Maybe. Program director for uh, ESPN Radio 105.9 The Zone and 106.3 uh, The Fan. We actually have two sports stations under the same roof. That's a, another story for another day. Okay. Uh, also, oh, wow. the afternoon drive on ESPN Radio 3 to 6, Twitter at Jake Wim and of course uh, college football analytics uh, shameless plug on cfbhourglass.com yeah. talking 130 teams we talk coaching recruiting you know win projections a lot of sports gaming stuff here in the state of Mississippi that right. we have yeah that's honestly that's what my favorite uh, stuff that we discuss is, is it's mainly the main reason I want to have you on because I feel like you're one of us you, you like to talk gambling you like to talk college football and that's Especially if like this season, I, that's that's where I'm going to live a lot is uh, is, is oh, the yeah. gambling. So it should be a lot of fun. But we'll um, Tyler, we'll get started. Let's start with Ole Miss, right? Yeah, we'll start with Ole Miss. Um, five and five last year uh, makes sense for a team who had a really good offense and a really bad defense. You know, you basically everything was split down the middle, fifty fifty for them last year. Um, really, really exciting start to the Kiffin era, I would imagine, if you're uh, an Ole Miss fan. Um, you know, you lose a couple really talented guys at receiver off the offense, but 
um, you know, the big thing for them to me is obviously Matt Corral coming back. So let's just start with them and get their prospects. We'll start on offense. You know, Jake, what are you, what are you hearing about, you know, kind of obviously last year, Matt Corral top 10 and yards per game, touchdowns, completion percentage, passing efficiency in the country. How does Matt Corral improve on what he did last year? You know, Matt Corral is an interesting prospect. Um, let's go backwards and remember, this is the third offensive uh, system that Matt Corral will have played in. Uh, and when he was recruited, Dan Mullen had him committed to Florida. And then, of course, he switched. I don't, I don't think anybody envisioned him being a Mullen quarterback. Uh, you know, he's not a guy that's going to – he can run it, but he's not a guy that's going to run the power, power spread. However, you know, he comes in at Ole Miss, and the first thing that you remember about Matt Corral is he got in a fight at the Egg Bowl as a freshman. Right. <laughs> yeah. The guy comes off the sideline and he's throwing haymakers. Um, the next year at Memphis, he comes in and, you know, he points to the sky and he's in the end zone and he takes a sack for safety. So everybody's going, who is this kid? I mean, where's this arm? So <laughs> right. Lane Kiffin comes in and Lane Kiffin totally rebuilds this guy. And I, I can – Hold I can, on, say that again. Lane Kiffin – Rehab Matt Corral. Okay, yes, yes, this is awesome. Absolutely, Kiffin, <laughs> Matt, he absolutely re- rehabbed Matt Corral. So when you look at what he did last year, uh, I think Matt Corral, you know, completed around seventy-one percent of his passes. He has the best deep ball, arguably mm-hmm. in the country. So an right. extremely accurate passer. Uh, you know, there was two games last year, LSU and Arkansas, where he totaled up eleven uh, interceptions. But other than that, I mean, Matt Corral was able to give Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy everything that they wanted offensively. So I think we're late, you know, where Matt Corral goes this year as he'll be a guy that'll enter the NFL draft next year, the mm-hmm. spring is you got to cut down on the turnovers. So the completion percentage mm-hmm. should stay the same. Just twice a year. That's all. Just, just twice a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't have those games. And, you know, let's remember, uh, I know you guys remember this, the Alabama game, literally if Ole Miss made one stop, they might have beaten Alabama. Not might have. They they would have. And that, yeah. like I, you <laughs> see the shirt I'm wearing, uh, and I remember that day like it was it was tough. I remember I, I, we start Allie's appendix broke that day or burst that day. We had to go to the hospital the day of. It was like, but I mean that night. That's the most. That's probably the most stressful Alabama game I've watched. So it, it almost it felt like LSU 2019 almost to a T. Is like you were not going to stop them, and they were they were a thousand percent a one stop away from winning that game. Yeah, and, and sh- hey, a plug here too. My fiance, uh, who is sitting across from me, she's uh, got family. She's from Tuscaloosa. Oh, and yeah. so when I told her that you were an Alabama fan, she says, I don't know him, but I love him already. I love that. Somebody <laughs> needs to. So that's good. Uh, no, like, but you're right. Like, there was, you know, year one in Kiffin, I think that's why the expectation is so high because we talk about it all the time with Florida losing generational talent, like in the skill positions, especially. And I don't, I'm not saying that Eli Moore is or isn't generational type talent. That's a massive loss. And Kenny Yaboa, even though he didn't, didn't go drafted, still a big loss from a production standpoint. So when you start looking at like year two with Corral, because his, like last year he had a lot of weapons around him. This year he's got, I think John Rice Plumley probably stopping starting or stepping into a starting role, maybe in the slot. You got Jerry and Ely. We all know about how like his upside. Who's a guy that's going to break out on, on offense that, that's going to help this team? Well, let's remember, and I, I talked to uh, a couple of reporters this week earlier about Ole Miss's scrimmages and, and such. Braylon Sanders is a guy who has come back. He decided to come back on that that extra year, the COVID year. And Lane Kiffin said to a lot of the reporters there on campus, he said, hey, I think this is a guy that's got first-round potential. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a guy who caught a handful of balls last year. He went down with an injury. And, and you guys know this, all the way back to Lane Kiffin when he was in Alabama – and he was able to take Amari Cooper and yeah. use him 
as a focal point. Lane Kiffin does a great job of finding a couple guys working the offense around him. Last year, it was Elijah Moore. You're going to see uh, Jerry Ely, as you mentioned, a, a focal point. He's going to play in the slot. He's going to move into the backfield. Mm-hmm. They feel really comfortable with guys like Snoop Connor, Snoop guys Connor, that can yeah. play in the backfield. So when you talk about now, you can move Ely into the slot. John Rice Plumley has bought into the system. He can play receiver, uh, very explosive. And then you get a guy like Braylon Sanders and then Jonathan Mingo, mm-hmm. who is from down the road here uh, where I live. So they've got a lot of pieces to the puzzle. Uh, this should be, again, a really, really strong offense. You know, and real quick, Tyler, so I piggybacking off that. Like, I've told this story before, and it's one of my favorite, favorite Lane Kiffin stories, like that's like on field, like appropriate. And so when you have like, I think it's 2013, Bama loses to Auburn, the kick six that we've, I think you guys might have seen the highlights once or twice or something like that. I probably remember it. So they go to the bowl game against Oklahoma and they bring in Lane Kiffin. That's the first time they had, they had interacted with Saban and all that kind of stuff. And, and they asked him to be like an offensive analyst and, and like, how would he attack anyone as an offense? And he, he went up to a whiteboard. He put five numbers on the board. It was Amari Cooper, Derek Henry, uh, yeah, I think TJ Yeldon, and maybe um, Kenyon Drake and like another guy. And he said, these five guys are your best players on offense get them the ball above anything else. That's it. Like just, and just focus on that. And he was able to single out those guys. And the year of our Cooper had, like we, we watched some really good Alabama offenses. Like Devontae Smith was incredible last year, obviously. But the, what, what he did with Devontae, with Amari Cooper is kind of what he did with the Eli, Elijah Moore last year. And, and he found a way, not just like single him out, but to put up ridiculous numbers when at times everyone in the country knew who's getting the fucking ball. Like, I mean, it, you know, so if you can do that this year, especially like I, in year two, I think when everyone's bought in, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be scary. So. No, I would agree with you. And, and again, I think the offense is going to be fine. Ole Miss mm-hmm. is going to make, they're going to stress defenses weekly. It's going to come down to that defense that was one seventeenth in the country last right. year. And that's literally yeah. going to be the difference in a six and six ball team, or maybe even a team that goes eight and four. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. They returned nine starters on defense. You question if that's a good thing or a bad thing when you're, you know, near dead last in the in the country in defense. But it is nice to have a little bit of experience. They did look decent on offense against Indiana in the bowl game, who had a pretty good offense this year. But uh, to your recollection, what was the real problem uh, for the defense last year? What, what was the crux of the issue? Because, I mean, DJ Durkin and Chris Partridge are known as two pretty good defensive minds. So what, 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 in your opinion, led to all the problems last year on defense? Uh, one, I think there was a talent deficiency. You know, when you look at Ole Miss on a three-year recruiting average, they're around 25th in the country. I always use a three-year recruiting average because very rarely do we see teams get to a senior year where you say that team was really good because of a senior class. It's, it's a different game now. Transfers and all that stuff. So I, I look at three years. So on a three-year average, they're around 25, 26 in the country. So that's a nice recruiting class, but some of the defensive players they've missed on. And then you look at some guys who transferred out of the program, very lean on the defensive front. And, and last year, they just couldn't tackle. Um, and we've seen, you know, Mississippi State and Ole Miss both kind of, you know, cycle into these seasons where they just, for whatever reason, they, they can't tackle. And last year, Ole Miss, not good up front. They didn't get any push. Um, you know, they couldn't keep the offensive line off the linebackers. The secondary was just their heads were spinning. They didn't get any pressure on the quarterback. So I think it came down to ineffectiveness, uh, you know, from a football standpoint, tackling, coverage, 
rushing the quarterback, all three levels. Right. And then it was a talent uh, deficiency. You know, Ole Miss has brought some guys in. They've got some guys, you know, Sam Williams. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, other guys like Otis Reese and some others that can play. They've got some guys that have come in now, some junior college transfers. They have had a couple injuries in camp, but this should be a deeper unit. And then what you mentioned with Durkin, and, and this was everybody in college football, not Ole Miss specific or state. They didn't have a spring practice last year. Mm-hmm. So, you yep. played an all-SEC schedule. They've had now a year in the weight room. So it should be an improved unit. The question is, how much improved can they be? We'll talk about that for a second, too, the weight room. I think that's interesting because, like, one, I, I don't – I'm not going to, like, dig up old stuff necessarily, but I don't think we make a, a big enough deal about DJ Durkin and him being kind of a piece of shit, uh, just to be honest, like, with some of the stuff that's happened. Um but that being said, like, you know, the, the, the strength and conditioning has been a, like a big, at least from a social media standpoint, focal point from Ole Miss football under, under Kiffin. And I, I don't, I cannot remember the guy's name. Is it Wilson Love? Is it, it's, it's somebody that, that had the Bama ties. I, I can't remember. He's always carried around like a, he's carried around like the ball out belt at Bama. But right. he's, he's taken like the Scott Cochran role at, at Ole Miss, like very seriously. And he's like the loud, you know, uh, projecting voice and all that kind of stuff. Like, is, have they been able to transition? Because when you look at other teams in the SEC, and it's kind of, you know, the same old, same old with, like, you know, the Bama, you look at Georgia. Sometimes you look at, like, you know, LSU or t- uh, A&M, like, in the trenches. Are they able to take that next step as one of those type of teams that are big, physically gifted and imposing team? Or is it still just like, hey, we're going to scheme people open and we're going to put up points? I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. They're not okay. going to get off the bus, much like Mississippi State, and, and scare you to death. I mean, they're mm. not going to look like Georgia or Alabama or LSU, but they've got some guys with some size. Um, they're going to be more athletic in the secondary. Mm. They've got some linebackers that can run. So, I mean, they're, they're a group that's going to have to play well, you know, from a schematic standpoint. But I, I think you'll see more of an SEC look to the defense, if that makes sense. Right. Um, but, but again, there's still a lot of work in progress here. Lane Kiffin, uh, after the scrimmage this past week, was not happy with the defense. Mm-hmm. He was very public about that. So, that, you know, it's, it's a crawl before you can walk deal. And I think for Ole Miss, especially a team that scored, you know, 30-something points a game last year, that this is a team, if they can reduce the points per game defensively by six, eight points, that's a massive win for them. You know, right. it doesn't seem like a lot, but I think that's the thing. It's, it's bend, don't break and try to just, you know, make a stop, something they couldn't do last year. Right. Yeah, and I think Kiffin obviously knew uh, after last year what he had to do. You're a big recruiting guy. You obviously saw they took a ton of defensive talent in their class this year, including the best player in their class was a a monster get out of New Jersey, a big D tackle, Taiwan Malone up there. Um, I don't know if you've heard any reports about him in camp. It's it's tough to contribute along the lines as a true freshman in the SEC, but that's a guy who I, I think by next year could be you know a huge player for them along the D line too. No, I think you're right, and he's he's a guy that should work his way into the rotation. I mean, that's the thing we've seen is 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 typically teams don't miss on defensive linemen, uh, especially in the Southeastern yeah. Conference. We've seen guys like Robert Kendichi at Ole Miss. Um, we've saw Chris Jones at Mississippi State and Fletcher Cox. These guys that are high-end recruits. We saw too much of Chris Jones in Mississippi State, that NFL combine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just a little too much of Chris Jones, right? Just a little too much. But, yeah, I think he's a guy that can work into the the two deep. Uh, By necessity, they're going to have to have him to play. They're going to have to have him to be, uh, you know, a contributor on this defense. Because, I mean, everybody, as you guys know this, most everybody's top 22. They can play with just about anybody. Mm -hmm. It's just when you get into the depth, and we'll talk about this with Mississippi State, 
you're going to see that with Zach Garnett at Mississippi State. They're pretty good on the first eleven. Yeah, it's just you know who's going to who's going to be the next eleven. Right. That's a good point. So we're big gambling guys, and it sounds like you might be as well. Oh yeah. So uh, I, as last I checked, the over under for for Ole Miss was seven and a half. Is that is that still correct to you guys? Yes, yeah. I know it is at the casino that that uh, we do business for, Maristar Casino in Vicksburg. It, it's it's set at seven and a half, and that's court, courtesy of Pin Gaming. Nice okay. plug. That was good. That yeah. was good. Love that. Um, I I I broke down the. I, I think they've got seven W's on their on their schedule that I could name pretty much right off the bat. Mississippi State, I counted as one. It's a rivalry game, so maybe I shouldn't have. But it's at I home think though. It's, sure. No, it's at Mississippi State. No, it's, right? it's at yeah. It's yeah, in Starkville. Yeah. yeah. So to me, it comes down to, can you win one of at Alabama, LSU at home, at Auburn, Texas A&M? That Liberty game will be tough, too. I mean, it's... I We're think not they talking about that at all as like a whole country. Yeah. It's and the like, fact I that Hugh Freeze that. is coming back down, yeah. that's yeah. incredible. And it's going to be an absolute shootout. Um, I, I think I'm going to take over for them this year. I mean, the defense has to improve. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that the guys they have as coaches there could get it figured out somewhat. So I'm going to go over seven and a half. Um, I think they can win the LSU game at home. I think they win at Auburn. I think they could beat Liberty, obviously. So, I mean, um, I think they could do it for sure over seven and a half. What about you, Chris? Um, yeah. You know, I, I, honestly, I think we've sat here for years and I hate this conversation just mainly because, you know, part of, because I'm, uh, you know, unabashed and unashamed Bama Homer, I guess, as many people have labeled me, but like also because, you know, it's a very cliche topic about which assistant is going to be the first to knock off Saban. And, and we, like, I understand how close Kirby has come and how frustrating that is for Georgia fans. I totally get it. But what Ole Miss did last year was different than what any other team has done and put Bama through. Cause that was again, like, you know, Najee Harris has five touchdowns in that game. Mac Jones is 28 of 32 with four with, with only two touchdowns, but over 400 yards passing, like everyone had to kind of be perfect that day to beat Ole Miss. And, and I like you replace a lot of talent this year, it, you know, again, we used the phrase generational talent at, at Bama that they're replacing with Devonta Smith and, and Najee and Mac and all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if they did it this year. It, Cause there's, there's like, whether you like it or not, it's like a, as a Bama fan talk about reloading all that kind of shit. There's juice to that, to that game for Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin, whether he wants to admit or not and says all the nice public things about Nick Saban, he wants to beat his ass. And at some point, I could see it happening. So I, I think that that is – I mean, that, that's a game that could, that could turn a – like we said earlier, like a 6-6, and 8-4 six, team to a 10-2 and two team. You know, I, right. I, I would take the over because um, I think just honestly, after what we saw last year, I'm not trying to make this about Bama, but like Steve Sarkeesian and stuff, we're in an era of football where – the play callers and, and offensive skill position players have really changed the game. Like they've been like the key, like defense has won championships, anything like that. Like those are the key things that I think to winning at, at football in, in 2021. Now that's the year we're in, right? It's been a tough one. Is that we're in 2021? I believe we're still in 2021. Okay. I didn't know it was Wednesday. <laughs> so that was also a problem, but yeah, but I mean, like, I think, I think that that that's what like Lane Kiffin is, is one of the best is top two, in my opinion, offensive minds in college football. I think, I think they're going to go over seven. I think they're going to go over seven by, by a couple of games. Yeah. I mean, I, I think especially when you have a, a, a guy at quarterback that's mm-hmm. got all the confidence in the world and he's, he's shown he, he can put up big numbers already in this offense. 
I love that. We didn't even mention the O-line earlier, but they got a pretty damn good O-line. Four, four starters coming back. They're pretty strong. Um, so if the defense can improve at all, you've, you've got to love this. Jake, where are you going on the over-under, seven and a half? Guys, I'm going to have to be the uh, other way with this. I'm going just slightly wow. under seven and a half, and I'm going to tell you, this is my rationale on it. So okay. I, I definitely think Ole Miss is a team that can win eight. I think they're a team, if, if they catch lightning in a bottle, the defense is better, they can win nine. Uh, Jackie Sherrill used to say, uh, (laughs) believe it or not, uh, let's go way back. And Barry Switzer at Oklahoma. You can only get a team up for about three ball games each year uh, because, you know, these these guys have girlfriend problems and family problems and classes and life. Let me tell you, Jake. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, they do. So, you know, I look at the (laughs) schedule for Ole Miss and and you're right. They they play Austin Peay. Uh, Tulane and, and Louisville. Of course, they opened up with Louisville. Right. They should get to three and zero. They're a ten and a half point favorite over Louisville in the Chick Fil A uh, Peach Bowl Classic. They get the off week, so they're going to get Alabama at the perfect time. You know, Alabama has to play Miami. They have to play Florida. Right. Uh, then Ole Miss gets the bye week. But even if Ole Miss, so you know, there's a chance they could go over there. They can give Alabama everything they got. Mm-hmm. But then they got to turn right around and they got to play Arkansas, a team that's given Ole Miss fits for a number of years. Um, and, you know, Arkansas, this isn't going to be a world-beater Arkansas team. But you look at the, the staff there and what they've been able to do, Sam Pittman, they've, they've gotten much better. So you go Alabama, Arkansas, then you go at Tennessee. It, it's not a great Tennessee team, but you're talking it's about road. Three, it's on the road and it's three straight weeks that you're doing that. Oh, and then you got to turn around and play LSU and Auburn all back to back to back to back. Oh, so, God. Yeah, so it, it gets monotonous, right, at yeah. that point. And, and you got to think injuries are going to take, take effect at some point. They're going to drop, you know, they'll probably, I have them, for instance, losing at Tennessee. Um, okay. Not that I, because you look at it, they had to play at Alabama, then they have to play Arkansas. Oh, and then you got to go get up and play Tennessee on the road. Right. But I have them coming back and beating LSU at home because that's a massive ball game for Ole Miss. They get up right. for that ball game every year. So, you know, I could see them, I have them seven and five, honestly. I'm seven that's, and five. That's actually five. a really good point, though. Right under the number. Yeah. Right under the number. So it's just really hard when you start stacking those games on top of each other and you're playing teams on paper that have more talent than you week in and week out. Right. You just get beat up physically and mentally. And I think there's a game in there that they could lose. But then I think, again, if they beat Alabama or they maybe catch Auburn on the road and can win that Auburn game, they can get to eight wins or nine. But I'm going under the seven and a half. That's, but yeah, you brought up all good points. So, I mean, like, kind of going through that schedule again. It's where the games lie, right? right. If, you, if you just take a blind look at the schedule, it's like, yeah, they should beat Arkansas at home. They should beat Tennessee. They should beat, you know, Everyone they should be at, at Mississippi State. <laughs> yeah, unless but, you're Alabama. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there. Unless you're Alabama yeah, you're or Georgia or Ohio State, where you have the best rosters coming off the bus every week, I have a, just a, a, a little stupid saying. I say it's who you play, when you play, where you play before and after. So, you know, it's – what do you have coming into this week? Yes, yeah, a lot going on. I want, I want to paint. I want to like stencil that. Like you want to stencil into my bathroom yeah. wall. Over here. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> live, so, laugh, live, love. Is, that's the new live, laugh, love. That is my live, laugh, love version of football. Absolutely, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no, that's but like, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I think that yeah. like it, like it, it, it always kind of plays out like that, right? Like when you like you you saying that like the Tennessee game that, that was the next question was to be like what game do you think would be a like, bold prediction for an upset or whatever, but. But like, if you think that's gonna be a loss and then LSU win, it, it seems kind of like a hot take. But it's also how seasons play out, like you know, every single year. Like, I mean, last year yep. again, we talked about Corral. I, I think he's the best training quarterback in the SEC. I think he deserves to be first in SEC because of his performance last season, and he played a full season, unlike JT Daniels. But like, 
you know, you go to that Arkansas game, you throw six interceptions. Like that is, that's a lot of interceptions <laughs> like yeah. in a single game. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I guess, so kind of looking at that and again, from the gambling standpoint, what, what is the, what's the best bet you would make on this team? I would say if everything went right, nine and three. Okay. Nine and three. Okay. I mean, I, I really think Alabama, all things considering, will beat Ole Miss. It'll mm-hmm. probably – they'll probably get the daylight scared out of them. Yeah. But then, you know, you look at a game playing Texas A&M, that's going to be a really good Texas A&M club. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to go to Auburn and to, to, to Tennessee and LSU, you know, right. three weeks in a row. You're going to probably lose one of those. And that Egg Bowl – and I, I, I'm not a – you know, I'm not the kind of guy that says, hey, throw it all out the window on the right. right. I don't necessarily believe that. But the Egg Bowl game is in play. Those two teams that there's not a there's not a lot of difference in those two teams. And if State can score a little a little with Ole Miss, they could play. So you know, right. nine and three is probably best case scenario. Uh, before we move on to, to Mississippi State, I did, I, there's a couple of things that I just want to touch on with Ole Miss that um, it, it, Tyler's never been to the Grove or Oxford, right, Tyler? No. It, so I've never been. And it really is like I, I've always joked around beforehand. It's like it seems a lot like a vineyard vine mannequin came to life just and just repopulated the entire fucking city. And, and it's just, it's that and dudes driving their, like a, a, a Tahoe that their dad gave them. I think that that's, I, I that was the cliche I had going there. Yeah. And they always say never judge a book by its cover, but I was absolutely fucking spot on when I said that. So <laughs> you get to Oxford, Oxford's yeah. an incredible town. And, and, but one of the things that I, I noticed, like, you know, they t- we talk about like the gas station food and how fantastic all that kind of stuff is. And, and like the, the traditions going on. And, what Lane Kiffin's been able to do, there's he signed a contract, signed an extension here recently, and there was a very odd or, or just interesting note at the end of it. And it was, if he's still the head coach by the end of 2021 and Ole Miss, he gets a $500,000 bonus, which is a decent amount of money for, for this year. Like, like I, and I haven't seen that a lot of, like a lot of places. It's, you know, make an SEC championship, you win a bowl game, like New Year's Day, whatever that kind of stuff. Is he stay in in Oxford? Because one thing that I have I have been pining for, and I think a lot of people have have started like the rumor is he could be the next guy in Tuscaloosa. Is that is that part of why they were worried about this and, and put it in the extent or the contract? Or what what are your thoughts on that? I don't have the initial memo on that. However, I will say this: I think Lane Kiffin is an amazing football coach. I think mm-hmm. he fits Oxford to a T. Just yeah. Like- did Lane Kiffin's uh, you know he just he 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 looks like and he acts like somebody that ought to be in Oxford which is a great thing he fits yeah, however yeah. Lane Kiffin is the college football version of the emotionally broken girlfriend I mean he literally could tell you I love you today and yeah. then be telling someone else tomorrow I love you tomorrow mm-hmm. so you know I I do think when very you look good at example him, Jake he left t- thank you sir he left Tennessee uh, you know the way he just mm-hmm. kind of moves around but so I think it is some incentive to stay. And, and, you know, what Ole Miss does have on their side is the SEC money, the SEC contract. We'll see what that new money looks like with Oklahoma and Texas coming in. But, look, I think they know if Clay Helton doesn't make it at USC and Ole Miss wins nine games this year, don't think Southern Cal may not start calling. Um, right. And there's other teams out there as well. So, yeah, I think that's an incentive clause to try to keep the emotionally broken girlfriend that is Lane Kiffin home one more year. Do you think it, Southern Cal would be an option? Because that would be – Fucking hilarious! Yeah, they left him on the tarmac, then they hired him. I don't think I, see, I don't. I, I think he's too he's too <laughs> jaded to have done that. Like I mean, like like I, I wouldn't put it past him, but I could also like we saw it in Tennessee when he was 
you know, calling recruits from other schools, I guess like to come to USC, but they were committed to it, like from the phone lines that were still like, you know, being paid for from the university. So yeah, God, that'd be funny. That'd be that awesome. But no, I think he stays in Oxford. I mean, there's, there's a lot going there. Uh, it would have to take a job like Alabama or USC or someone like that to come open. I think for him to leave because he's making really good money. Uh, you can recruit to uh, a school like Ole Miss. You can be competitive year in and year out. And they're recruiting on a national level, you know, to some degree. Um, and then you look, he's got, you know, he's got the inside track to Arch Manning. So, uh, you know, we'll see where he ends up. So there's a lot down the line that, that lines up well for Lane Kiffin to stay in Oxford. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing, too. You would definitely want to pin your entire career, if you're, if you're that coach, on another Manning coming to Oxford because they've done so well in the past and, and like, and had at least nine to 10 wins once in their career. So like, that's, I think that overhyping another Manning is what we all should do right now. <laughs> that's what we're looking forward to. Yeah, right. All right. Tally, did you do about Mississippi State? Yeah. Quick side note. I have, I have an ultimate fear that um, Dan Mullen goes to the NFL and, and Kiffin goes to Florida as a Florida state fan. Oh, that, wow. that would terrify me. Yeah. That'd be he'd be a great fit there, I think. Um, yeah, Dan, Dan, Dan Mullen just to take that on too. That same personality, but it's not as funny. He's like the dad version of I just, hey, I really hey, don't feel he's long for for college football, honestly. No. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Before we move on, uh, my fiance wanted me to show you this. Uh -oh. um, this is something that I got, you know, because I work sales here, obviously, and I got this from a man in a in a in a garage. It was like a garage sale, but it is a wooden made Alabama football. <laughs> Like literally, Wait, it's made of wood. It's made of wood. Like, how? Yeah, <laughs> look, at look at the that. finish. Cool. Yeah, it's amazing. That's awesome. That's yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, I don't know cool. shit about woodworking. That's I mean, like I don't even know how you do that. That's it. Like, I don't know if it's like an old like. I mean, listen, if you would have if you would have pulled out something you had whittled like on a front porch of Mississippi, I would have believed it. But that's fucking incredible. That, like I don't know how you do that. <laughs> yeah, it's a football wooden yeah. wooden football. So nice. Sorry. All right, let's move, let's move on to Mississippi great. State. Uh, four and seven last year. Kind of a whirlwind season. You start the year shocking everyone. Now, granted, LSU turned into something we weren't aware they were that first game. But, you know, they put up 44 points. KJ Costello, everyone thinks he's the next big thing in the Mike Leach offense because he throws for, I think it was the first ever QB. yards. To throw for <laughs> 600 yards in a game. Um, and then, basically, teams – figured out, hey, we shouldn't play man. Let's just drop eight because they can't run the ball. And they turned over the shit out of the ball for the rest of the year, fell on their face. Their next four games after LSU, they scored 14-2, to 14-0. Um, oh, then they turn around and they narrowly <laughs> lost to Georgia in Athens, like right. randomly. Uh, and then they put up 52 in the season finale against Missouri in a win. The defense was strangely pretty good, um, which you wouldn't typically expect from a Mike Leach team. Um, so they enter into a, a, a new year, obviously, with Will Rogers. I, I, I guess, now you tell me, I don't know if Jack Abraham's come in there from Southern Miss and made it a competition. I know they've got the talented freshman in Sawyer Robinson or Robertson, who was a Texas Gatorade Player of the Year coming out of high school, but I think he's more of the future. What does the QB position look like this year for 2021 for, for Leach? Well, it's going to be Will Rogers. He had a really good scrimmage this okay. past weekend. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, I, I was I had an opportunity to see him uh, as a youngster uh, do the play-by-play -play for Brandon High School here locally. 
done it for a decade, and that's where Will played. That's where Gardner Mitchie played. So I've had an opportunity to okay. watch pretty good high school quarterbacks play over the last yeah. seven or eight years. And Will comes from a football family. His father's offensive coordinator at that high school. They ran a very similar system. Will is, you know, he's, he's a football junkie. He's a guy that's got a lot of size on him now. And, you know, Will has, Will has, has really progressed here. And let's remember just what you referenced. KJ Costello comes in and blows the doors off LSU, and everybody says, wow, Leach is going to make this look easy. Then it wasn't easy. And Will Rogers got thrust into action uh, as a true freshman, head spinning, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He ended up with a high completion percentage. Uh, he's gotten stronger over the offseason. And by all accounts and, you know, camp reports, Will has, has taken that job. And he's been able to not only, you know, capitalize on opportunity, but to, you know, maximize his opportunities. All signs point to Will Rogers. This is his team in 2021. Okay. So can't you yeah, so, can just talk about that for a second, though? Because, like, if, you, if anyone listening has any information on the whereabouts of KJ Costello, please notify this podcast immediately. Because, I mean, like, we Jake, joke Jake around. Jake might be our guy here. Jake like, might where be our the guy fuck here. Ha- like, like I, I, remember <laughs> saying, I remember saying this for the preseason. Like, Connor and I like, like hosted the podcast last year, and we, we did predictions for who's going to lead the league in each category. And it was pretty obvious that I, you, you kind of thought that KJ Costello was going to be in a Mike Leach offense. So of course he would. And I remember saying this like to somebody in our podcast group, and and he said, "Some uh, Kyle Trask." And I was like, "Okay, dude, it, like it's it's not about him being a better quarterback. It's it's the fact of the offense." And I was like, "I bet you a million dollars that so and so." So we had to kick him out of the group because I could, you know I don't want to fucking pay him. I don't have a million dollars. You can tell I'm living in a basement. So it's <laughs> like, um, but like you know, KJ Costello just absolutely disappears off the face of the earth from from that game. I just I I feel like that game is as fascinating to me as like the three two game the old, the Mississippi State Auburn game like from like I think we're gonna look back in ten years at least for me and I will still be just as fascinated by all of the weird quirks from that and why the fuck Bo Pelini at any point could have been like hey let's run zone let's just run for a minute so you give you guys a little rest how about that like just and he was like absolutely not it was like the the guy from Room <laughs> Tide is like I don't want them to gain another 600 yards and they just kept doing it. So <laughs> I think I saw something where KJ Costello is either in a camp for the San Diego chargers uh, or LA chargers or whoever they are. He's back out in California. I do know that. That's okay. Um, good. You might be in a homeless camp out in California out there, like off of, of the interstate. <laughs> he very well could be, but I, I, you know, I think that's what he's doing, but you know, last year, what was interesting, there were so many uh, intricacies to why that offense, I think didn't work. Mm-hmm. One of the things is I, they never reported this, but, it looked to me like Costello had an injury. They just never talked about right. it came off the ball. Cause you go back and watch some of his cutups of Stanford. The guy had absolute juice on his arm mm-hmm. and then it went to being just very soft. So, you know, that didn't work out for him. I hope whatever he decides to do, you know, works out for him, but it's, it's going to be Will Rogers this year. And yeah. I expect to see Will look much better this year. Well, and we talk, people are really high on Connor Basilac and, and I, and I get it. You know, people that are smarter than me and they can watch tape, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and just to be clear, also, I'm not I'm not trying to shit on KJ Costello as a person. I'm I'm just it's a fascinating story of of, of setting a record of that magnitude and just being gone. So, but but the thing with Will Rogers, he was second, I believe, in the SEC as a true freshman in completion percentage. And it's it's a you know this offense yields that kind of return. I feel like like you know more often than not because of the way the system is set up. But we talk nonstop about Connor Basilak and being, you know, he's a true freshman last year and he's able to step in and all of the, the touchdowns were there. The numbers that Will Rogers put up were, you know, you could argue he would make that, that jump 
just as much as we would expect out of Connor Rizzo. Like, and, and honestly, we, I've run this up several times throughout the year on the podcast. The jump that you have in a Mike Leach offense from year one to year two, I believe on average, like he's had in like his, his past stops, like in Lubbock and, and, and Pullman, is, is 7.8 points per game as an offense. So we should be able to see that offense. Do you think it's more of like, I mean, year two, we're not having, and I'm not trying to get too deep here, but we're, we're not having all this political stuff that's also factoring into the season and, and, and some players not buying in and, and, and like just so much more like, you know, a, a tumultuous surrounding that they're in. Um, I think Mike Leach is having a like, more calm <laughs> instead of a storm it could really help too in year two. No, I think you're right. And look, if you go back and, and again, we could do a deep dive on the whole thing. Um, one, there was some locker room issues, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Kylan Hill and Mike Leach for whatever reason did not get along. Right. Uh, there was some other players that did not buy into this. Uh, secondly, the offensive line, a lot of people forget this. Those guys were recruited to play for Joe Moorhead. Uh, they were run first blockers. They were trying to learn how to block right. passing blocking schemes. A lot of times the Kentucky game was very uh, hard to watch because those guys were like, they were stuck in sand, could not. Oh, block. God, what was the score? Like, wasn't that like 23 to two or 24 yeah. to two at one point? It was 24 yeah, to two. Yeah. Yeah. 20, it was God awful. Yeah. You know, and, and then Mississippi State didn't have a ton of pass catchers. I mean, they just right. you know, Dan Mullen didn't do any favors when he left. Uh, he did not leave any receivers. Joe Moorhead didn't recruit a lot of receivers. So you had two or three receivers last year. You had to have a transfer from Alabama. Um, now they've got some pass catchers that have gotten older. They've got another year in the system with the offensive line. Um, and, you know, Mike Leach has joked about it because he gets asked so much about, you know, playing against the zone. He said, look, this isn't the first time I've ever seen zone. Right. We've seen zone for 20 years. Our guys just didn't know how to adjust. They didn't know how to check at the line. So it's been a massive learning curve for this team. And you should, I would think, see massive improvement across the board. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be Mike Leach's offense, you know, with where, you know, he looks like he's in, in the last year at Texas Tech or when Gardner Minshew was at Washington State. But I think it'll be much improved. Right. Yeah. And I think where you have a lot of hope if you're a Mississippi State fan is, again, first year coach in the COVID year, they got no spring you had by the end of the year you had three or a handful of true freshmen really leading the team on offense i mean he, will rogers is the first true freshman to ever start for mike leach in his career which i didn't know until i was doing some research for this podcast um your rogers favorite target probably the best receiver on the team uh, as a freshman jordan wally i mean he's all sec he broke a 43 year old mississippi state record for receiving yards in the season by a freshman um you got at running back two guys jaquavius marks and dylan johnson who filled in for uh colin hill when he opted out last year all these guys are true freshmen and, and jaquavius marks had 60 catches as a running back last year um yeah. I said we did a we did a um, a podcast ahead of SEC Media Days talking about maybe some underrated guys that won't get love. I think Jordan Wally by the by the time he's done at Mississippi State could set a bunch of records for them. Just given the offense and his skill level, what are, what are your thoughts on on Wally and and that receiver core? I thought Wally uh, was a steal for Mississippi State when they got him. I had a chance to see him play in the playoffs. Uh, actually, played against Will Rogers in a six A playoff game a couple years ago down on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And Wally was literally, uh, no disrespect to D'Iberville High School, where he come from, he was their offense. And they couldn't stop him that night. And I thought, wow. And he's got a younger brother who did not commit to Mississippi State. I believe he's going to play for P.J. Fleck in Minnesota. But he is an absolute stud. And I thought when he got to Mississippi State, that was a big pickup. It proved to be the case. Uh, I know Camp Reports talking to Paul Jones and several others at 247sports.com today on my show. Wally continues to impress in camp. 
he's going to lead, uh, you know, that receiving core. You talk about a guy like Jaquavis Marks. He's a guy that, you know, and that, that's one of the reasons you, you talk to guys like Matt Wyatt, who does the color analyst for Mississippi State. He's on our network. He does the 10, uh, 12 to 3 show. This offense will be better if they can run the ball when they need to run the ball. And they've got some guys that can do it. Maybe move the chains on third and short. Maybe pick up some running yards on second down and eight. Uh, and then, look, there's other guys. that uh, A lot of people, this kind of went under the radar because the transfer portal so hot. They got a wide receiver transfer from the University of Washington, from Washington State, who played for Mike Leach. And then they got a kid named uh, Micaiah Polk, who is from California. And everybody's raving about Polk in camp, saying he has been Will Rogers' biggest red zone target. So, you know, you go from having uh, Wally, a guy as a freshman last year, to now four or five guys that can catch. Let's not forget about Malik Heath, who came in from the Mississippi Junior College system a year ago. Uh, Mike Leach calls him the best inconsistent rod receiver he's seen in quite a while. So that's that's a backhanded compliment. So, yeah, <laughs> this team should be much better. They got four or five guys they can throw it to, some young running backs. They got a quarterback that's going to be young. This team's going to be a year older. I expect this offense to look much better. The defense we talked about earlier, it's like it's kind of been – like, I feel like any time you have a Mike Leach team, because like, he had good defenses at one point at Washington State. There was one year, I think they were top 10 defense, some some metrics, so like some stat. Um, oh, is that when Grinch was there? The, I don't I think, I think you're right. Yeah, D coordinator for Oklahoma now. Yeah. So, but like, if you look at like his like, like, like season in year one, I've, I've always said, like, I think he's a guy that's it's, it's difficult to get along with. I think that he has, like, his shelf life at Mississippi State could be shorter because of, like, like, similar reasons we saw with Joe Moorhead where I – because mean, Mike Leach isn't going to change, right? Like, like, Mike Leach is Mike Leach. And so, do you think this season – because I thought one of the cool and interesting things that we saw in year one was, like, when, uh, for a lot of these coaches last year was every single first-year head coach had a signature win already, like, within the first couple months of the season. What win what, – what game on the calendar for Mike Leach – is the one he's got a circle that's got to be like either where, where he has to win that to, to kind of keep, you know, the, the heat off of him or has like, or where he could put himself in a great position in terms of like a big upset win where it's, it's this year's signature win. You know, that's, that's an interesting question, but I, and I've looked through the schedule and I, I've got Mississippi state for transparency going six and six, I believe mm-hmm. six and a half is the win total uh, on pin gaming. That may be different on some other, other outlets. So I've got him at six and six. But I think the the signature part of their schedule is early. They play three non-conference games. They play Louisiana Tech, they're 24, 23, 24 and a half point favorite to open the season. Then they play NC State out of the ACC, which yeah. is, you know, Dave Dorian has done a great job with that program. He's one of the more seasoned coaches in the ACC. Then they got to go to Memphis. Mike Leach typically will lose a game every now and then against the team. I, it was one of the Dakota State teams, North Dakota State or South Dakota <laughs> State, beat him up in uh, – Pullman a couple years ago, then he turns around and then has a big win against Oregon or something to that effect. For Mississippi State to have any kind of success this year, they've got to go 3-0 and in the non-conference. They can't take NC State lightly in week two. Memphis is a team we saw them beat Ole Miss in the Liberty Bowl a couple years ago. So those are two games I think that are key. I know that's not sexy games. That's not Bama. That's not Georgia. That's not Florida. Mm-hmm. But they come off that three-game stretch playing LSU. God forbid Mike Leach go into that at one and two going into LSU. Yeah. The city state fans will check the F out and go straight to baseball. He got to go three and zero in the non-con. Wow. To baseball. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if like, like yeah. we make fun of Kentucky fans and like, listen, congrats. They won the, they won the national championship. That's awesome to watch the, their fan base, you know, uh, to kind of go through that. But I mean, 
we always make fun of, of Kentucky is like, you know, it, it's the, the sooner they get to like a losing season early in, the, early in the year, it's like the quicker they turn to basketball. But Jesus, if we're pining for baseball in, <laughs> in October in Starkville, that would not be good. Yeah. No, but I, I think those, I think the non-conference games are extremely important. You know, if you look at the SEC schedule for Mississippi state um, and, and a game that they, you know, would be a really a signature game, you know, look at November 13th when they go to Auburn, you know, yeah. I mean, Auburn's not going to be, uh, I think a great team this year. I think that could be a seven and five or six and six Auburn team this year. Yeah. Uh, but I think going on the road playing at Auburn, uh, they're not going to beat Alabama. Uh, maybe going down to Texas. I hope I, I'm just uh, right real quick. I hope they put up a fucking hundred points against Mississippi State in in Starkville because <laughs> of 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 the devastation that happened to Bama fans last time they were in Starkville to his injury. I'm just throw that out there. <laughs> no, I totally understand. <laughs> I totally understand. Yeah. So you know, hey, at Texas A&M, so- something like that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 So that defense, by the way, I didn't realize how good that that corner tandem was for them. Uh, Martin Emerson and Emmanuel Forbes. So Forbes, as a freshman last year, led the SEC in picks. Three of them were kick, uh, pick sixes. And then PFF had Emerson as the sixth best corner in the country. Um, so you, you take those two guys. You got Jalen Green, who transferred in from Texas. You got a couple guys that are coming back from injury. Um, I think the big name there is Fred Peters, who's a senior. Um, I mean, they do lose Errol Thompson, but I think the linebackers are, are pretty good as well. Um, my my one concern is I saw Jordan Davis went down towards ACL this week. He's a transfer. I think he was originally at Bama, maybe. Then he went Juco, and then here. I didn't see a, a difference maker, at least that has produced at a big level yet on the D line, which could be, you know, a problem there. So let's start there, you know, before we get into maybe some of the other units, who steps up at D line for, for Mississippi state this year? Who, who's yeah, the next know. big guy that we're not talking about who, who, you know, like puts up a good senior year and then, and flaunts his dick out in the middle of the NFL, NFL uh, combine. <laughs> it's just like, who's the next Chris Jones? <laughs> Well, I'm not sure there's a Chris Jones. Uh, I don't know that there's that kind of girth on this defensive line. <laughs> I knew however, that was good. However, uh, you know, Jaden Crumity is a guy, he's a junior that, that should have a really, really big year for, for Mississippi State. Uh, you know, Mississippi State, I've said this defensively, they're not going to scare you getting off the bus, much like Ole Miss isn't, but they're going to play extremely hard. Uh, as you referenced, they're very, very salty defensively. Uh, you know, Jordan Davis down, but Nathan Pickering is the guy that's been on campus for a long time. He's a guy that they're expecting to play inside that two deep. Uh, you look at a guy, Randy Charlton, he's a defensive uh, in transfer from Central Florida. They're expecting him to have a, a major, you know, a pretty big impact there. He's had a, he had a really good spring, mm-hmm. has had a really good camp so far in Cameron Young. So, you know, they've got some guys that can play uh, along the first three or four. Again, for Mike Leach, it's going to be – and I think it's going to be wait and see because nobody really knows – can they develop a five, a six, or a seven on the defensive front? You know, I, I was listening to Nick Saban's press conference earlier in the week of practice, and he was talking about their defensive front at Alabama. He said, hey, we could, we're, we've got eight guys, nine guys yeah. that can play. Mississippi State probably doesn't have eight or nine guys. So, But can they find a fifth, six, or seven? I think the first three, when you talk about Charlton, Cameron Young, Jaden Crumity, you throw in an Nathan Pickering, you've got about four guys there that can play. It's just finding another three or four that you can put in that rotation. Yeah, that really is the key, right. I feel like, to a lot of teams like the SEC, especially it's like it's it, you brought it up earlier. We talked about Ole Miss. Like it's not it's not the, you know, <laughs> still trying to give the girth comment. That was good. <laughs> it's, just like, it's not the size that matters at the first unit. It's it's the it's the whole second and third team is really you can rotate in there. So that's a, that's a good point. 
<laughs> um, so I, would you expect to step forward? Uh, I mean, they were really good at um, stopping the run last year and creating turnovers. Turnovers can largely be a luck thing. Do you think they could be as good on defense as they were last year? Yeah, I think the unit can be, you know, a team that, you know, right there around 21, 24 points per game. And if they can do that and be, again, a bend, don't break defense. Again, you referenced the secondary uh, with Emerson and Forbes, and you got some other guys back there that can play as well. Uh, Jalen Green, Colin Duncan, and some others. I mean, their secondary is the deepest unit on this defense. That the third level, the back end is. Uh, linebackers are pretty good. They're going to be. They're going to be a nice unit as well. So, yeah, I think it's a team that can. As long as Mike Leach's offense doesn't get into a situation where they're going five straight three and outs, and the right. defense is just getting gassed, and they're running, you know, eighty plays in a ball game, this defense will keep Mississippi State in a lot of ball games. It's just a lot of it is going to be, as you, as you guys referenced, uh, as Chris said earlier, Mike Leach isn't going to change. If his offense can keep pace with the defense, then it'll be a pretty darn good unit this year. Right. That's fair. So you, you said that the over-under is at six and a half now, so it looks like it's ticked up a little bit from six. So obviously some people are a little bit more bullish. Um I mean, look, if they can go 3-0 to start the, the non-con, I think they'll get there for sure because you got Vandy and you got Tennessee State as guaranteed wins, essentially. Real quick, um, though, too, look, this is also a program. We, we didn't really mention this, time. I didn't interrupt, but, like, like we, I think we talked about this, like, a while ago when ESPN FPI released their initial rankings. And ESPN FPI <laughs> is the biggest crock of shit, maybe outside of PFF. No offense to anyone that – like, you know, I, the, the FPI specifically makes no sense because I brought this up and I'll bring it up again. I lost trust in all of that. Even, even with this logo on my chest, Bama lost to LSU. LSU was the best team in the country in 2019. It was, wasn't close. Bama was ranked ahead of them in the FPI for two weeks after that. So, but, but Mississippi State was a top 10 team uh, in the beginning of the offseason on that. And they've kind of come off that. So it's kind of odd that that's gone down and the win total has kind of gone up. I think that they found out that there was an error when they did the first run. <laughs> I'm, and I'm not kidding. No, I'm not kidding. It was like Steve That's Harvey when he announced like the, the fucking Miss, Miss Universe thing, and he was like, Columbia. No, but for real, oh, though, my God. But for real, though, they did come out. They said there was some calculation they got wrong when they did the original run. I'm not, I'm not making film. a joke. No, they did. Yeah. I remember I remember seeing that. They actually put out a disclaimer <laughs> saying just a few weeks ago. Oh, my God. There was a, a, a quote, analytical uh, mis, you know, misrepresentation. Good words, uh, yeah. Yeah, they really put it, you know, they put the, they put the wording to it. And said basically, yeah. "Hey, we screwed this thing up." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that, that. Also, like I'm laughing about it, but like you know that there's like someone that's probably like 12 year old Chris that's in Starkville, just like Dad. Do you see this? Like we're gonna be fucking good this year. Like we, we're gonna be good. Trust me. And like his dad's like, "Yeah, of course we are, dude." Stop eating all the Fritos. <laughs> I agree. I agree with you. By the way, Jake, that that NC State game is gonna be a big one because I I do think NC State they've got a really good quarterback in Devin Leary. Um, he was out for, for a large portion of last year after starting out really well. Um, and so he's back this year and I think they're going to be really good. And, and that's, I think that's a good litmus test for them as well. I think NC State's going to be a, a, a very solid team. If they can win that game, I think they'll go over. I had them as under, but I think you've kind of convinced me. I don't know. I think you kind of convinced me to go over, honestly, Jake here. Yeah, but, but, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be spineless, right? I'll go under. I'm going to go <laughs> under six and a half. <laughs> so yeah. both, both of you've gone under on this. No, he went over. 
But I said six and six. No, I did. I said just right under. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, oh, okay, Miss, I got you. Uh, well, Ole Miss under the seven and a half, and Mississippi <laughs> State under the six and a half. Well, glad we brought you on with all this positivity for the entire state, Jake. It's good. That, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, people, people will hit me up about that one. Right, so, of course. Right, right. But it does yeah. come down to the first three games. And yeah. Then, of course, you know, can you, the, the question is, you know, do you hold serve against, as you said, Tennessee State and then Vanderbilt on the road? You get to five. Well, Kentucky's a game that is in play. Um, it always has been for Mississippi State. That's yeah. always been a big game for State and Kentucky. Now, last year was not the case. But then you've got to start looking for other wins elsewhere. Do you win on the road at Auburn? Um, do you win on the road at Arkansas? Probably not. Right, that's uh, the point. You know, the Egg Bowl, you got to play, uh, you know, Alabama at home. That's off the table. At Texas A&M is probably off the table. LSU is much improved. So once you get past the five, the three non-conference, Tennessee State, which is the fourth non-conference, and in Vanderbilt, the other wins become very precious and they become yeah. very few if, if things don't go well. Well, I tell you what, man, that, that's, the, that's the reason why um, – I've said from day one, like, like you, you just brought up Arkansas, casually mentioned Arkansas. And I think it's interesting to, to bring up because last year that was a huge upset. Like that was the signature for Sam Pittman. It should have been Auburn, but the, the refs were obviously being paid off by everyone in the plane. So like, but like if you, if you're dismissing that win or you're just kind of casting that aside, like that's going to be a loss. I think that's what, that's what's so difficult for coaches in the SEC. When you look at stuff, I, I've never understood why people have jumped to come to this, this like conference because Brett Bielema, like you're, you're talking about coasting into a Big Ten championship and winning the Big Ten West every single year. And, you know, with, with Mike Leach, I think it's I think it's a good fit in a lot of ways. But that's what kind of worries me is that, you know, like if if he's not able to beat those teams, because you're right, there's like it's, it's almost like a triple option offense in terms of what the ceiling is for your team. Like not not the same, like in terms of, you know, effectiveness or whatever. Like, you know, I, I think about Georgia Tech with Paul Johnson, but there's a ceiling over your, over that program's head. And, and traditionally, I feel like there has been a Mississippi State in general where I've, I've always said they're an eight and 14 of the South Carolina of the West. And, and they, you know, like getting to that is going to be, you know, difficult. I think, I think when you look at the schedule, cause it's not getting any easier. They're bringing in more fucking teams and, and it's talking about year two of a lot of other coaches too. So. No, I agree with you, but you know, for Mississippi state, and I think they saw this with, with Joe Moorhead is if you're going to win, and even when, you know, Dan Mullen did things differently. He mm -hmm. did things differently than anybody before him. One thing he didn't do was he didn't lose to non-conference teams that he wasn't supposed right. to except one time. Dan Mullen wore shorts Troy. against South Alabama. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Lost to South Alabama wearing shorts on the sideline. I'll never let him live that down. <laughs> what year was that? Uh, that was uh, 2013. 17. 17. Okay. We, I yeah, feel like no. one of us predicted on the old winning and boozing podcast, Tyler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. So, you know, but Dan Mullen changed the way football was played in Starville. You know, never did they play out the shotgun. He did that. You know, they they ran the power spread with Chris Ralph. They were able to, Chris you know, Ralph. do all the things they did with Dak Prescott. Same thing comes with Mike Leach is you're not going to win big games not throwing the ball. This is a throw and catch league now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mike Leach does that. So I think if they can get the air raid worked out to where Leach wants it to be, they're going to be a hard out every week. Doesn't mean that they'll go win the East or excuse me, the West, or they're not going to play, uh, you know, the East best every year, but they can win eight games. Like you said, they can be a consistent eight and four. I like the way you framed it up. South Carolina of the, of the SEC West. I'm glad you do because most uh, fans from both sides have not at all. Um, and I, I'll stand by until the day I die. I think it's, I think it's a good spot. Tyler, what else you got for Jake? Well, I, I, I don't have much more. I, th I think um, i you're, I'm clicking follow here. I'm going to follow you here on Twitter because I like your insight. Um, where can the listeners find you again? I know you're um, at Jake W I M Wim. 
on Twitter and is it cfbhourglass.com? Yeah, cfbhourglass.com uh, at Jake Wim on Twitter. And I appreciate you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks, uh, ESPN man. Radio uh, here in Jackson 105.9. We stream on the zone1059.com. My show's on the afternoon drive uh, every day, three to six. And we're doing just this. We're talking college football. Uh, you know, Chris joins me. We'll have to get you on now. Yeah, we're, we're always trying to add new people and bring in great people that uh, can talk college football intelligently. You it's guys fun are too, man. It really is. It's like one of my, I, I'm not just saying this, uh, let's look up your ass, but it's like whenever you text me, it's usually before I've woken up, I'll be honest, as you could probably tell from tonight. And then I'm like, I'm like it's like, yeah, of course I got time. It's always a lot of, a lot of fun, but uh, and real quick, I just want to say one thing or, or ask you a question to close out on this. And, and you're a guy that graduated from Mississippi state, right? And I know I kind of shit on the whole thing with, with South Carolina for the West. In a year like this, when you when you, like the Dak Prescott, they will. I think the fans will hold on to the, his success for a long time and how important he was for that program. Baseball winning a national championship. What's like the mood in Starkville nowadays with with your, like having success? The program winning their first ever national championship. Uh, I think the the mood is extremely positive. I mean, yeah. you know, you look at Mississippi State and, and and their fan base. They like to hang their hat on. Hey, look. We're the only team in the state of Mississippi over the last 30 years that played for a Final Four, mm-hmm. played in multiple College World Series, uh, won a national championship now, played in the SEC title game in 1998. Uh, you know, so had that went to number one. So there's a lot of positive energy. Uh, yeah. You know, the fan base obviously is still uh, celebrating a baseball national championship, which I think is, is fantastic. Uh, they want a winner in football, though. I mean, every SEC school does. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of, of people, you have two sides of the camp. You have those that are cautiously optimistic in Mike Leach. And then you have those that say, hey, this isn't going to work in the SEC. So I, I think the mood for football is, is very kind of hold your breath and wait. Um, but hoping that Mike Leach can turn this thing into a winner. Nice. Well, good deal, man. We appreciate you coming on. This has been this Hey, man, great. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks, Jake. Uh, and for, for Chris Marler, I'm Tyler Huck. Thanks for listening. Go rate us five stars. And we will talk to you later this week. See you.